Hey, Tito and Anna have done a great job while I was away, didn't they? It was uh, one of the first times in ministry, in 17 years of ministry, that I actually was able to leave with confidence and knowing uh, that everything was going to be fine uh, because uh, our team is tight. And Tito and Anna, they know the heartbeat of what we do around here, which is relationships and loving God and loving people and loving people one step closer to Jesus. So it was so great uh, knowing that they had it. And uh, so uh, uh, Tito is actually, uh, it was so stressful being me while I was gone. He's actually down in Vegas, uh, just kind of burning through some money. He went to some shows. Uh, no, totally kidding. Totally kidding. He is actually in Vegas, uh, but his daughter lives there. She's pregnant and they're having a big uh, baby shower for her. And so he's down there giving, getting a little rest and recovery. I told him, I said, hey, if you're not going to be here on Sunday, I'm throwing you under the bus, man. I'm going to let everybody know you're in Vegas and it's not a good thing. And so he's like, yeah, you would do that. So uh, Miss Anna, it's uh, her boy's birthdays are like one or two days apart. So she's celebrating with her, with her boys this morning. But uh, so we just gave them time, uh, time away. But uh, they did a great job. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for loving on them and for allowing them to care for you and to shepherd you while I was gone. But I missed you guys. I was ready to come back a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and Dave said, nope, two more weeks, and then you can come back. So he's the boss. I had to wait two more weeks. So anyway, it was great. Um, there's Taylor, my daughter Taylor. Hi, Tay-Tay. Yeah. Remember Taylor used to sing here? Yeah. See, four people remembered you. Yeah. Shouldn't she come back and sing more? Yeah. I think so, too. Uh, it's good to have uh, my family here, uh, Seth. Those of you that don't know my family, um, yeah, Seth, he doesn't, he doesn't mind standing. Uh, I know some, some of you are new uh, since I've been gone, so I just want to introduce you. So, Seth, I have an older son, Caleb. Uh, he's getting married. Yeah, we saw, you, we saw you the first time. Okay, yeah. So he's too much like me. There, he, there's another stage he doesn't like. And uh, so uh, my wife, Janet, is uh, a labor and delivery nurse, and she's delivering babies today. Uh, so, yeah, and she said, pray for me because they have 18 ladies laboring down right now. Yeah, they had to clear out uh, one of the storage rooms and make it a room uh, because they're out of beds. And so uh, she's delivering babies today. And then there's uh, Ella, Miss Ella. Raise your hand, Miss Ella. Or don't, yeah. And then our foreign exchange student from Sweden, Emma. Raise your hand, Emma. Yeah, there's Emma. So that's, uh, that's my family. And then, uh, yeah, and then Tay-Tay. And, yeah. And then, um, and then I, my oldest, like I said, uh, Caleb, he's not here unless he comes in late. He loves coming in late. So that may be him. So uh, anyway, yeah, let's get into it. Hey, if you're here this morning, uh, and if you could go ahead and take out your phones and turn those to either silent or off, we'd appreciate that. And also, uh, your phone is where you'll find the New Life app. You can pull up the app and download it. If you've never downloaded our app, you can do that right now. And that's also where you'll find the message notes for today. Uh, we also have a texting service uh, that we began while I was gone. So we changed the number uh, to actually our number, our church number. And so all you got to do is just text any one of those, any one of those words, P News for New Life Patterson News, uh, team, pray, decision. If you're making a first time decision to follow Jesus today, we want to know that so we can send you some resources to help you on your journey. And so uh, any one of those numbers to 
uh, those words to 209-667-5433. We'd really appreciate that to stay connected. Also, um, if you're new here, uh, since I've I've been gone, I'd love to get to meet you. Um, I'm totally accessible, totally approachable. So come up and find me after service. Introduce yourself. I'd love to have coffee with you just to get to know you a little bit better and so you can get to know me as well. Uh, And so I can just uh, get those on the calendar. Uh, our giving, those of you that say faithful in your giving uh, over the summer, we just want to say thank you. A lot of times churches have a big dip in summer in their giving, uh, but this campus has actually seen an increase in our giving over the summer. So I just want to say thank you for being faithful so much in your giving. And there's lots of ways you can do that. You can give online through the texting service. Uh, you, can, uh, you can also give through our website. You can give physically here uh, this morning. We have uh, giving stations located at our doors, and you can just drop it off. Uh, into that. Uh, we have some announcements just to go through real quick. Don't forget that the uh, uh, Anna, Miss Anna and the kids team are looking to add some more volunteers, especially as we go into the fall when all of our kiddos start coming back. Uh, as, as school uh, gets back, we're going to have a big increase in our kids numbers. And she uh, is looking to add about 12 more volunteers. So if you can volunteer once or twice a month, uh, that'd be great. Uh, just go see Miss Anna. You can, uh, uh, you can text her, you can call her, you can email her, however you want to uh, get in touch with her. But if you feel like, you know what, I have a gift uh, working with kids and I want to see our kids, I want to help love our kids one step closer to Jesus, uh, then you can just uh, contact Miss Anna. Also, our students are having a game night coming up on August the 5th from 6 to 8 p.m. This is a junior high and high school event combined. So if you have a student that's in either middle school or high, in junior high or high school, then make sure you put that on your calendar. You can take a picture of this with your phone and make sure you give to your students and uh, because they're going to have a great time doing that. Game night was never a big thing for me. I, I've, I'm horrible at video games. I'm like, just give me somebody to hit, all right, like football or something, you know, but games I was never good at, but we have, but all my kids are all game nerds, especially this one. Yeah, you can sit, yeah. I don't think I should call on him anymore because he's just going to keep standing up the more I call it. All right. Uh, I think, did I miss anything? I haven't done this for the last nine Sundays, so if I forget something, if I fall off the horse, just throw me back on, okay, because I may miss some things. Uh, oh, I know the, one of the most uh, important things. Thank you. Hey, if you're here for the first time, we have a gift for you. We actually have this little, this mug, so that I'm drinking some, uh, some water out of this morning. And so uh, if this is your first time here, then we want to stop by our starting point before you leave. As you go out these doors, turn left, you'll see uh, some shelves there, and the, the, the cup will be right there. But that's just our small gift uh, to you to say thank you for visiting with us and being our guest here this morning at New Life Patterson. Also, if this is your first time here and you do not have a home church, then we want to say to you, welcome home. Yeah, you didn't forget. Good. All right, well, uh, let's get into the message this weekend. Over the last seven weeks, the teaching team has discussed just a few of the many miracles of the Bible that we can also apply to our lives even today. Miracles like Jonah and Daniel and Lazarus and Elisha, just to name a few. But today we're going to be in a very familiar text if you grew up in church in the gospel or the book of John. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of John, if you don't have your physical Bible or the Bible app, the scripture is going to be behind me on the screen. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Before we get into it, I just want to uh, uh, tell you about my wife and I, Janet, when we first got married, we were absolutely broke. No money 
at all. We had zero money, but we had love. We had love, right? There's an old phrase I'm sure you've heard before, especially if you're broke or poor, that you being so broke, so poor that you don't have two something to rub together. Nickels, yeah. Pennies, nickels. I didn't know where two nickels were to be at the same time to even rub together. We were so broke. So that, that old adage didn't even concern us. I was 21 years old at the time delivering pizzas for $200 a week. Janet was 18 filing charts at a doctor's office. We didn't have anywhere to go, so we refurbished my parents' basement, moved into my parents' basement. And to this day, we still haven't figured out why neither one of our parents grabbed us and said, hey, this is probably not a good idea since you guys really don't have good jobs and you don't have any money. You're still young. What are you doing? But we had love. We had love. Young love. Young, dumb, stupid love. We should have waited another year or two, but we didn't because we loved each other. And six months later, after we got married, tired of not having any money, I dropped out of college. I got a good job in sales. I started making some money and we bought our first house. Then we bought things like a dishwasher and a washer and dryer. We had to have a, a lawnmower to cut the one acre of grass that we just moved on. But I worked all the time. I was never home. The money was good. But my family life was beginning to suffer. I was working 60 plus hours a week. We had our oldest son, Caleb, at the time that I basically only saw on the weekends. So when I tried to hold him, when I, when I tried to play with him on the weekends, he would cry because he didn't know me. He didn't know who I was. I'd leave in the morning. He was in bed. I'd come home at night. He was in bed. So I decided this isn't worth it. So about a year later, I quit my job. For another one, I took a major pay cut so I could be home more, spend more time with the family. And then trouble came once again in the form of finances. I remember one specific Friday afternoon, Janet paging me. Anybody remember what a pager is? This annoying little device that connected onto your hip that you wanted to throw out the window every time it would go off. But she was paging me. And so I pulled over, found a pay phone. If you remember what those are back in the day. Found a payphone and I called her and she said, okay, I'm excited. We, you just got paid. I wrote our giving check out to the church. We paid all the bills, made sure that we have money for next week for gas and for groceries. And we have $17 left over. I was like, hey, perfect. That'll do until next Friday. You know why? Because we had love. That's all we needed. We had love. We had love, but more importantly, we had God. We had Jesus as the center of our marriage. Those early years were tough. You've been there. You know what I'm talking about. And because of the economy now and just learning that we're technically now in a recession, maybe you're there right now. I would come home from work in those early days and Janet would say, okay, so last night, baby, we had bologna and cheese sandwiches and I've switched it up. Tonight we're having cheese and bologna sandwiches. <laughs> I was so excited. I didn't care. A good old bologna sandwich, a good old southern bologna sandwich with a big fat tomato on it. I didn't care. And as tough as it was, Janet and I always tried our best to keep God first. We served in the local church. We gave regularly. We sacrificed. We attended weekend services. We prayed together. We read scripture together. We cared for people together. And in nearly 29 years of marriage, we never missed a house payment never missed a car payment, never went hungry, obviously, you can tell. 
that, we never, that I never went hungry. And God always provided for our needs. You see, those early years of God's faithfulness are embedded in our hearts and stands as a reminder of God's faithfulness and God's goodness. Now, personally, I call all of those little moments of his faithfulness our own little miracles. And I could take another hour or so to talk about how God's blessings to us resulted in us being able to bless others, but that's for a different message. I love how the Psalm 77 starts out with the writer literally crying out to God, and he says, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. And then it goes on to reveal the struggle that they're facing, some of the challenges that they're going through, and that it seems as though God turned his head and his hand against them. So basically for this writer, things weren't looking good. But then verse 11 kind of turns the script on the despair with which the psalmist is wrestling, and he says this, but then I recall all you have done, O Lord. But then I remember all the times that you've been so good to me, O God. And the psalmist goes on recalling and remembering all of the times God brought them through difficult times. You see, miracles in our lives and in the lives of those around us, they serve as reminders. Reminders that we, like the psalmist, can recall and find true hope and enduring strength to keep holding strong to Jesus in difficult times. Because bologna and cheese may not be a big deal to many, but to Janet and I, when we walk by the bologna and cheese at the grocery store, those items stand out as, as a reminder of God's goodness and his faithfulness in our lives. And much like our miracle, the Bible is full of these moments. Moments of God showing his love and his care and his overwhelming grace to us. So today we're continuing our summer series on miracles, where we've been getting to the core of the miracles found throughout the Bible. Not, and like we mentioned earlier, not just uh, the miracles that we see in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament as well. And as we walk through just some of these miracles, our hope and our prayer is that you and I can both see and understand that miracles aren't just for people living back in the Bible times but they're true for us as well, in us and through us. So John chapter six is a very familiar story. It's an awesome story of a time when Jesus, being followed by a very large crowd, multiplies a few fish and a few loaves of bread to feed well over 5,000 hungry people. Now, if you're new to the Christian faith, if you've been here, you haven't been attending church very long, uh, the Bible gives us four accounts of the life of Jesus from four different perspectives referred to as the Gospels. The Gospel means the good news of Jesus, the good news of Jesus' life. So the first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, basically, uh, the, new, the New Covenant, the New Testament, the New Promise, the Old Promise is gone, the New Promise of Jesus having a connection with us and us having a direct connection with God is now appeared. Not all of the accounts include the same details, but each of them, all, all four of them have this one single miracle, this one single account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And each one of the gospels tells us that Jesus and his disciples were trying to get away from this crowd. They were retreating from a large crowd that had been following them. 
because this crowd was amazed at the new teaching of this new guy in town named Jesus and all the miracles that he had been performing. So over the course of a few days, a few months, this huge crowd began to develop and follow them around. They wanted to see more of it. So let's read starting in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says this, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed the hill and sat down with his disciples around him. Okay, so let's pause. So despite the efforts of Jesus and the disciples to get away, the crowd kept finding them. That's a whole other sermon in itself. How much are we really pursuing Jesus? How much are we really following after Jesus to find him? We won't go on that today. But it's toward the end of the day now in this story, and the disciples are now urging Jesus to send the crowd away so that they can go find uh, nearby villages and farms and get something to eat. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. You guys feed them. Now, the disciples had to be thinking, okay, the sun's starting to get to Jesus. Maybe he's hungry too. Maybe Jesus is a little hangry, you know, and he's telling us to feed thousands of people and we have nothing with us, but what Jesus is actually doing is setting up what's about to happen. Verses five through seven. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Now, why did Jesus ask Philip first? Well, probably because uh, Philip was from the town of Bethsaida, which is most likely the closest town. So Philip would have known shops or vendors or farms or villages nearby to where he could probably round up a lot of food. So that's why we think Jesus asked Philip first. But Philip also knew the size of the crowd. That's why he's like, it would take us, we, we would have to work for months to feed the size of a crowd. You see, Jesus was setting up this miracle for everyone, setting it up in a way that the disciples would almost feel the emotion of the impossibility of this crazy miracle about to be performed. This was nuts. Andrew speaks up, and then Andrew speaks up about this boy who's nearby that has five loaves of bread and two fish. And being Peter's brother, I imagine there was a little tone of sarcasm in what he said, but it should have been the opposite. These disciples should have came to Jesus with the total opposite mentality and attitude. Andrew and the others should have had the faith to believe that Jesus could have taken this boy's lunch and fed all of these people like that with no problem at all. But that wasn't their attitude. Because up until this point into, into the journey with Jesus, they'd watched him turn water into wine. Huge miracle. They watched him heal a little a boy who was sick. They witnessed the healing of this crippled man who was lame since birth, get up and run off. But this passage makes me believe that they were questioning whether Jesus had lost his mind. Maybe they were thinking, we saw and we witnessed Jesus do those things back there. But this is different. And don't we do the same thing? 
we do the exact same thing. It's almost as if every time God gets us through one struggle, through one conflict, through one challenging time in our lives, we look back and we say, man, if it weren't for God back there, if it weren't for God 10 years ago, if it weren't for God 20 years ago, if it weren't for God last week, but that was back there, this is what I'm facing now. This is the reality. This is real to me now. And it feels like what I'm going through now is much worse than what he got me through back there. Everything's back there that for that moment in my life. The next struggle, the next conflict comes and we say, God, this is different. I know you helped me once, but this is different. This is a little bigger. I know you helped me with my car payment, God, but my house payment, that's a lot bigger. I don't know if you can do that, God. I know you helped me with my drug problem, God, but this addiction to pornography, that's a little bigger. I watched you put my friend's marriage back together, God, but my marriage is much worse than theirs. I don't know if you can do that. Listen, the same Jesus that did one has the ability to do the other. It's the same Jesus. Now, will he? I don't know, but I know he can. But for some reason, when he does, it still surprises us. <laughs> We're told by John that Jesus takes this boy's lunch and begins to pass it out to the people. He gives thanks to the Father for it, and they begin to pass it out to the people. The Bible says that there were 5,000 there. there was, that's a lot of people, we know. But we also know from other passages in the culture of the time that they only counted the men. That means the boy wasn't even counted. Neither were any of the other children or even the women that were there on the scene as well. Some scholars believe that there could have been as many between 10 and 20,000 people there that day who were all fed until what? Quote, they ate as much as they wanted. And here in the middle of this story is a boy who had his lunch with him. Verses 8 through 11. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Now for the rest of the message... I want to keep our attention on this boy and look at, this, at, at just some of the characteristics that he had that I think you and I can learn from today. We don't know much about him. We don't know his age. We don't know what he looks like. Nothing except that day he was following Jesus. He was following Jesus and he trusted Jesus. It's a great question for you and I to begin asking ourselves today as well. So like this boy, write this down for number one. Am I trusting Jesus? Am I trusting Jesus? Now, maybe he was just following his parents that morning. Maybe he was just following the crowd. Maybe he had nowhere else to go. Regardless, God led him to the right crowd at the right place and at the right time to not only see this incredible miracle unfold, but be invited to participate. And God is constantly inviting us to participate in his miracles as well. Jesus says this in John 12, 26, if any of you want to serve me, then follow me. Then you'll know where I am ready to serve at a moment's notice. The father will honor and reward anyone who serves me. 
But how many of us know that there's always two crowds? Or inside of one crowd, you have several different voices, right? You have the, uh, the good and the bad, the for and the against, the pro and the anti, the positive and the negative, the optimist and the pessimist. The question is, which crowd do we listen to the most? Which crowd are we going to follow? Are we going to follow the loudest one? Or are we going to follow the right one? Look what Proverbs says in 13.20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. We've all heard phrases like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Your five closest peers will determine the course of your life. And one of my favorites, but one of the most stinging ones is your closest friend is who you really are. It's natural to be influenced by the people with whom we choose to spend time. Your circle of friends will either build you up or they will tear you down. So are we trusting them or are we trusting Jesus? Are we going to believe the disciples and follow after the disciples who say, Jesus, this can't be done? Or are we going to follow Jesus? The little boy decided to trust Jesus. Not Andrew, not Philip, not the rest of the disciples. He decided to put his trust in Jesus. And he also came prepared. Did he know that he was coming prepared for that day, for that event? No, but he was prepared. So that's another question that we can ask ourselves. Number two, am I coming prepared? So number one, am I trusting Jesus? Number two, am I coming prepared? So I grew up in Tennessee and I can remember uh, being in elementary school, packing my lunch every day. I had all the cool lunch boxes back then. If you grew up in the 70s and 80s, I had Star Wars, the Dukes of Hazard, Knight Rider. That was my favorite one. And then I had the $6 million man. Anybody remember that one? The Bionic Man. That was one of my favorite lunch boxes. And I pretty much ate the same thing every day, either a sandwich or if it was wintertime, I would pack soup in my little thermos, you know, bag of chips, an apple, a fruit roll up, pretty much the same thing every single day. And my little lunch, my little lunch box, they weren't anything fancy, but it made me happy. And it was enough for me. It certainly wasn't enough to feed all the rest of the kids in my class. And I wasn't about to share. I mean, you can look and tell I don't share my food too much, let alone feed 5,000 people. Now, we don't know whether or not this boy woke up and made his own lunch. We don't know if his mom packed it. Most likely, though, his parents were there, too. And what he had in his basket was probably for his entire family. And he was just the one in charge of carrying it. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is that that little boy that day was close to Jesus. He was in the proximity of the son of the living God. He wanted to be close to Jesus. And he was prepared. He didn't know he was prepared, but he was. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be prepared like this boy when Jesus is ready to use what I have. And that might look like a lunch, might be a couple of dollars for someone in need. It might be a smile or a hello to someone who's feeling lonely. It might be a simple conversation with someone who needs to process through some things. Maybe it's the giving of my resources or my gifts, whatever it is. I want to intentionally position myself close enough to Jesus that when he says, Jeremy, I want to use what you have, 
that I'm prepared to give it up as a sacrifice for his service and for his kingdom. Because as you and I spend time with Jesus, in time of prayer, in time spending reading and reflecting on scripture, time with community with other believers, we're actually preparing ourselves for each of life's little moments. So if we trust Jesus and we come prepared, we have our basket with our items in it, that's our preparation. That leads us to the last fill-in. Are we willing to give it? Am I willing to give what I have? I'm trusting Jesus. I've got my basket with me, and I've got all the items in it that God may need, but am I willing to surrender over what I have? And each of us has this basket that we carry around, not physically, but we have this basket that we carry around that contains the contents of who we are, what we've been given. And sometimes Jesus is simply saying, hey, can I have that? I'll make it bigger. I can grow it in your life. Are we, are we willing to sacrifice what God has given us? Because as you and I, like I said, as we spend time with Jesus, that only comes with spending time with Jesus and being close enough to when he turns around and says, hey, I'll take that. I imagine this boy had to be pretty young to think that his little lunch would be helpful, but he was willing to surrender it. He was willing to give it up. And you might be here today and think, well, what do I have? <laughs> I don't think I have anything that Jesus really wants. I don't think I really have anything to offer. What do I have that Jesus might want to use? What's in my basket that Jesus could potentially want to even multiply. Here's the thing. Jesus can take whatever you have, big or small, and multiply it just like he did in this miracle, especially when he wants to use it to fulfill his purpose and his kingdom. He can take a very small act of kindness, a small act of helping your neighbor with something. He can literally use your basket for the day that you prepared to meet a huge need in someone else's life. Because I firmly believe a big reason why we have such a hard time surrendering what's in our baskets is because we've forgotten who it really belongs to. It's all his anyway. My marriage, my kids, my home, my cars, my position, this campus and everyone in it, this city, this planet, it all belongs to God. He is the great giver. My life on this one life that I've been given for just a few years on this planet is just a vapor. And my responsibility here on earth is to steward to the best of my ability all that God has given me. But are we willing to give and surrender what God has given us? Are we willing to surrender what God has placed on the inside of us? Because it's not necessarily about what we give that Jesus is looking for. But are we willing to be obedient and trust him to say yes when he says, can I have that? Jesus can do a lot with what we have when we're willing to surrender it to him. So what do you have? What has God given you? What has God placed on the inside of you? What are the contents of your basket? Maybe you're here today and you're facing your own bologna and cheese situation. <laughs> Maybe it's much more serious and dire than that. Maybe you're facing a decision to compromise one thing or another. 
Jesus wants to teach us something. His desire is for us to really know him. And just as he was teaching and showing Philip and the other disciples who he was, that he was there to give them something more than a miracle, more than just feeding the crowd. God wants to take what we have to bring hope and life to our lives and then into the lives of those around us. For are we willing to surrender our basket? And like the psalmist, I encourage you to recall all the times that God has blessed you in your life. If you can't recall any of those times, ask God to show them to you. Even before you were serving Jesus, even before you became a follower of Jesus, God was good to you. And say, God, remind me of all those times that you've been so good to me in my life. Now, let me leave you with just one more thing. In the story that we just read of Jesus multiplying the fish and the bread, when does the miracle actually happen? It's when they begin to pass it out. It doesn't happen before and then they begin to pass out what Jesus multiplied. It multiplied as they passed it out. Not until then. Their faith in action activated the miracle. Isn't that great? Now, could Jesus have done it without them? Of course he could. He's Jesus. But it took something on their part. It took faith in action on their part, and it takes faith in action on our part to activate the miracle. It's when we surrender what we have to Jesus and actively use it, not just for us, for his kingdom. That's when the miracle happens. And not only in your life, but in the lives of those around you, your family, your friends, your network, your coworkers, your neighbors. Faith in action, surrender in action, trust in action. Whether it's your resources or your finances or your talents or your giftings or your focus or your time, whatever it is, it begins to multiply as you use it for the cause and for the purpose of Christ. You may be here this morning, you may not even have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you've been coming here for, your, for a while and you're kind of still struggling through what this means to be a friend with Jesus, for him to be your savior. Maybe you don't have that relationship yet. Maybe there's only one thing in your basket and that's you. Maybe the only thing that you have to offer Jesus is yourself. You say, I really don't know what I have. I've got some gifts and talents. I don't, I, I'm still confused about the, all this, Jeremy. But what I do know is I can give Jesus me. I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Because Jesus is inviting all of us into a personal relationship with him. The creator of the universe, the one who holds it all together, is inviting us to be friends with him, inviting us to follow him. And when we follow him, we can serve him. He died on the cross so that you and I can say, yes, I believe and I accept. And then we can go to him with our hands open and say, here's what I have. Whatever I have, I give it to you. Whatever I have came from you, and so I'm surrendering it back to you. I trust you with it. I'm prepared. And I'm ready for you to multiply it in my life. 
Will you bow your heads and pray? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for my faith family. Thank you for the opportunity to step back into the role of shepherd that you have given me. Lord, I love you and I love your people. Father, we know that every one of us carry around kind of an invisible basket with our own gifts and talents and skills, our lunch for the day, so to speak. And Father, I believe you're inviting all of us into a miracle. I believe that you're looking at all of us right now and saying, can I have that? We can selfishly tuck it away, turn around and walk away from you, or we can surrender it and say, take what I have and multiply it. And as we give, the miracle happens. So Father, I pray a blessing right now over everyone in this room. Lord, I bless their health. I bless their spiritual growth with you. I bless their marriages and their children, their finances, Lord, their homes, their jobs. Father, I pray that we can all walk in obedience close to you. Lord, every morning when we wake up, we can say, my goal today is to stay close to Jesus and to walk hand in hand with him so that when he's ready to use me, I'm prepared to be used. I pray all that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here this morning. Don't forget all the announcements that we gave earlier. And also, if you're new here, come find me. You don't have to leave. Uh, I know Tito said it's been great. People have been hanging out, talking. You don't have to go anywhere. Uh, after about an hour, I'll say you don't have to go home, but you got to leave. Yeah. No. Hey, you guys can stay as long as you want. Come find me. Introduce yourself to me. Let's go grab coffee. If you're new here, make sure you go by our starting point. Get the gift that we have for you. And we just want to say thank you so much for being here. Have a great week. God bless you guys. We'll see you back here next Sunday.